You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. On Max's Island today, I'm joined by Mark Ewing. Mark, welcome to the island. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. Mark, all the guests on Max's Island get that opportunity to tell us a story of that time in their life when they did something for themselves, perhaps made a decision, or life threw them a situation that they weren't expecting, and then decisions had to be made about your life from then on. Have you got that time in your life where that may have happened to you? I do. Actually, for me, it was putting my hand up to say I need help with my mental health. I was really struggling. And the reason for the struggle was I'd had an accident 18 months before where I ended up getting a brain injury, an ABI. So from there, everything changed. But the catalyst for me for change was putting my hand up, realizing I wasn't right and asking for help for my mental health. Mark, the incident that happened 18 months before how severe was that yes it was fairly severe i was working and i got struck in the head and then from there i got my acquired brain injury was the recovery more physical or did that happen relatively quickly and then there was some mental challenges that you faced it was both actually physically and mentally the physical stuff was it was a severe concussion but unlike most concussions, instead of mine getting better after a couple of days or a week, I actually got worse. And then two weeks would pass and I was still getting worse. Things like my speech would go. I couldn't get my words out. I was very confused, dizzy, severe headaches. And again, I was told it's just concussion. It'll get better. Don't worry. But sadly for me, it didn't get better. Then my cognitive ability started to diminish which meant I couldn't read emails because I couldn't understand the content of the emails. And that was very challenging for me for being quite an intelligent person to suddenly not understanding emails or what day of the week it was or where I was. I would sometimes go out for a walk and get lost in my own estate. So that kind of thing. So that obviously had a major effect on my mental health and I started to decline probably quite rapidly. I was scared and yeah, so I just realized I needed help. So I put my hand up and I've got a fantastic GP who realised what was happening to me and was able to help. The medical fraternity who were observing your ABI, did they have 
any impact in you considering your mental health or were they primarily concerned about just simply trying to understand the ABI and where the concussion was going and that the mental health aspect of of this that was something that you had to deal with yourself there's actually two different avenues for this so the medical team at the hospital just wanted me pretty much out the department they felt it was just a concussion and I would get better so I was sent home with a leaflet but the real champion for my health was my GP who actually back in Ireland he had a similar situation with one of his his colleagues who fell off their bike and banged their head and the same thing instead of getting better actually got worse and that's the first time I heard the term post-concussion syndrome which gave me something to go and research and learn about but Dr O'Donovan my GP was absolutely fantastic because he'd had lived experience of this condition. So you said you put your hand up you went to the GP obviously you, you talked about the mental health impact of your concussion and your ABI what was the very first thing that you felt after having that open discussion with him? It was relief. It was just genuine relief, like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I was scared. I didn't know who I was anymore. My identity was very wrapped up in my work and things. Like that. As a person, who am I? Then to have that taken away from me was really hard. So I didn't know who I was what I was doing. I was struggling at work because I couldn't understand simple things. Being in a meeting and given tasks, I couldn't remember what I had to do. My short-term memory was really being affected. So being able to talk to Dr. O'Donovan, lots of tears, I'm not scared to admit it. You know, I'm a big guy, but lots of tears. And he was just gave me the time and he fully understood and says, no, you need help. So he got me in touch with a fantastic uh, therapist. And from there, we then moved down a different uh, path in my life, which was art. So you mentioned that you went back to work, and I guess the medical fraternity who are looking at the ABI are, are trying to get you back to what would appear to be normal, mm. back to where you were before. So work was part of that. And that was also probably important, as you've mentioned, about that was your identity. That was who you were. You, you, you had a had a position in the workforce, skills, knowledge, experience, that was you. So it makes sense to try to recreate that post the injury. The decision to seek the help, and then you've just mentioned pursue a totally different creative endeavour like art, did that mean that you had to stop work? I did have to stop work. My employer was actually, I won't name them because it's not fair, but were absolutely atrocious. So I, I was off for about two months after the accident. I then came back to work on a return to work program. And my very first time being back, my manager said to me, if you do not recover, you will be dismissed. So I had that stress put on on top of not knowing what was happening to me, not getting better as the medical people were telling me I would. So I had all that stress. So I had to pretend I was fine at work when I knew I wasn't. It was taking me twice as long to do anything. So an eight-hour shift would turn into a 15, 16-hour shift just to get the tasks done so I could go home. And it was just an awful time, absolutely awful time. So my employer was treating me very, very poorly. When I would go to my regular GP appointments for checkups, my employer would send a representative into my doctor's appointment 
and it felt like they were leading the conversation instead of myself and my GP were leading the conversation and they were continually pushing, he's fine to do this, he's fine to do that. With me, I'm a people person, so I'll do anything to please people. So I just went along with it, again, half hoping that I would get back to my old self. But the realization was becoming stronger and stronger that I wasn't my old self and something has definitely changed. What about your work colleagues, those that were with you? Did they observe changes and were they supportive or were they just doing their own work and, and left you pretty much to yourself? I was left pretty much to myself. My employer is very much focus-driven, you know, profits. That's all they're really interested in. They're not a people organization. They're a very profit-driven organization. And the amount of times I was told, you look fine to me, because it's an internal brain injury, it's not like I had a scar or I had a missing limb. It's an invisible injury. So if you look at me, you think, you look fine to me. The amount of times I was told, you look fine to me, but inside, I wasn't fine, so I was dealing with the brain injury and also my own mental health and exhaustion from doing 15, 16 hours a day. I was also expected to come in on my days off to cover. I was also, at one point, I worked 34 days in a row because of the tasks that I had to do. It makes it very, very difficult to look after yourself mm. when you're being driven by motives around expectations in the workforce by others especially when you have some cognitive issues the recovery from your concussion is is not complete and then overlaid on that is obviously your whole mental condition but you're not even getting a chance to address that in that time it sounds to me no there was no recovery time it was just you look fine to me crack on and do your job so i was always a very successful department manager. I was actually department manager of the year, the year before. So very successful. I just didn't know what to do with this employer. So I ended up just going off sick, seeing my GP when I had pretty much my breakdown. And I put my hand up and said, I need help. I can't do this anymore. The day you made that decision to seek help and put your hand up, did that happen instantaneous or was a, a little bit of a build-up to get the courage to be able to do that? I kept pushing my feelings down, pushing my feelings down and eventually they had to come exploding up and one day they just came exploding up. But when I did put my hand up there was so many mixed emotions, it wasn't just relief, there was fear, there was a bit of embarrassment there too, you know, I needed help. This successful fella who was department manager of the year needs help, you know, I didn't think it would be me. But I did, and I'm, I cannot say this enough, I'm so glad I asked for help. So the moment in time that you picked to join us on the island and explain your story was this moment of realisation. But fortunately, you're able to connect with your GP. And so pretty quickly, by the sounds, that explosion was able to be turned into a good conversation, a realisation that things needed to change. So what was the first thing that happened after that meeting with the GP and sort of planning the future? So after two days of seeing my GP, an emergency appointment was made where I saw a psychologist and uh, she was just fantastic. I was struggling to articulate my emotions, one because of the head injury. When I get overwhelmed, my brain shuts down and I can't articulate, I can't get my words out. 
but she was just fantastic. So she said, well, is there another way you can show your emotions? Do you draw? Do you walk? Do you run? You know, how do you clear your mind? And I said, well, actually, I quite enjoy art. You know, I'm not very good at it, but I quite enjoy it. So she said to me, well, I'd like you to paint me a picture of your emotions for next week. It was almost like I was given homework, and that's what I did. And everybody, her, was very, very surprised at what I produced. Before I come back to exactly what you produced there, you said you'd done a little bit of art. Was that total amateur, self-taught, or had you done some courses? What did it look like? No, I was just just a keen amateur. You know, I doodle away. I did a couple when the kids were very small. I did a couple wall murals of Disney characters and things like that. I was able to kind of reproduce things at an okay, acceptable level. But yeah, no, I've never done art classes apart from when I was at school. So when she said, okay, go away, here's some homework, did you think that was exciting, that there was something to do, or were you, again, challenged by that process? No, I was very, very excited. Something was happening in my brain, and like, and even though the accident took a lot away from me, it seemed to be awakening something else in my brain, and I was very excited. And I had these clear images in my mind what I wanted to create and how I was going to do it. So it was very clear to me, even though the world at the time wasn't clear to me, this one task of painting was exceptionally clear to me and I was very excited by it. So what did that homework look like when you went back the next week? What I did, I created, what I did, I associated colors with my emotions because I couldn't articulate how I was feeling. So I put a color to an emotion. So for me, the color blue is a joyful color because of the blue skies, the blue water in Australia, and my wife's beautiful blue eyes. So when I think of the color blue, it makes me smile. When I think of the color purple, it makes me homesick for Scotland. When I think of the color green, it reminds me of friendship, sitting on the grass, having a picnic. So I associated my emotions with color. So I did them as little bubbles, and I put different emotions next to each other. They were all done for a reason. So when I put the color purple next to the color blue, it was joy. But also for me, the color orange is a bit sad. So I had a bit orange in there too. So you could actually see how I was feeling by the bubbles, how many different colors were there and how tightly packed they were together. And did that come immediately? It did come immediately. As soon as she said, I want you to paint your emotions, I just had this idea in my head. My brain seemed to spark into life, which was really cool because I felt it was shutting down. But this one idea just seemed to spark. And I got very, very excited at the prospect. I'm interested to know how she reacted when you came back in the next week because I'm sure psychologists and and those people who are involved in assisting people to recover from a trauma, have some post-traumatic growth, deal with their emotions, they probably have situations where they offer ideas that aren't taken up, that just don't connect. But in this case, she's given you an idea and, and immediately you've connected with it. So how did she react when you came back the following week? She had a, gr- a genuine grin from ear to ear. And when I started to explain what the bubbles meant to me and the colours and the pl- how the placement was so important, she could see probably through her professional eyes what I was trying to, which I couldn't speak verbally, but she could see, you know, visually she could see what I was trying to say and how I was trying to say it. 
but she was just blown away by it, absolutely blown away by it. That probably allowed her to continue a conversation with you, continue to explore situations, and you were able to then articulate your emotions of those situations. How long did it take with her to, and, you know, respectful of your mm. personal situation here, and please, to, you know, be comfortable in only declaring what you feel right, but how long did it take for you to, I guess, go through a cycle with your psychologist to deal with many emotions? It, we were together for 10 weeks. I got a 10-week block from my GP. So we were together for 10 weeks. The second week was fantastic. We just clicked instantly when she saw this painting. And I got joy from her joy, which I, I hadn't felt joy in a long time. So again, I felt real genuine pleasure. Again, being a people pleaser, I managed to please this this stranger. And we got a lot from that. But as our sessions went on and on, we got to know each other and she got to know my tells when I was getting tired. So what I would do and I didn't realise, I would start to look at the door when it was time for me to leave and I didn't realise I was doing it. So I maybe do that half an hour into the session or 40 minutes in and she knew it was time just to stop. So we actually had that interaction quite quickly from session three and four, which was fantastic. After the 10-week sessions... What did that mean? Did you have a pathway forward or was there still a bit of trepidation about what was going to happen? I had a pathway, but I wasn't sure how sturdy it was. It was almost like a dirt track. It wasn't a road. It wasn't a pavement. It was a dirt track. And I thought, well, the path I thought I was going to be on, that's not an option anymore. So let's just see where this dirt path goes. And she gave me enough confidence because I did other paintings in those 10 weeks, which again, she just loved. And other people started to like them too, which I was quite surprised about because I paint for me, I don't paint for other people. And yeah, so we just, yeah, she gave me the tools to go on and I thought, yeah, I'm going to go down this path to see where it leads. The painting, as you just said, gave you personal satisfaction. It gave you a drive. How has that developed? over the most recent period of time? For the last three years, it's given me my purpose. I really enjoy it. But with my art, there's lots of metaphors in my work, lots of stories. I like to create a feeling. So when somebody looks at my work, they get a feeling. It could be, I did a painting of an old man on a bench just holding one flower, and it's called The Widower. And that just has so much emotion in it. It's not particularly painted well, but people just get the emotion from it and they get the feeling from it and that's where the real value of that painting is is the feeling not the technical ability but the feeling and the aura around that painting the colored dots are they still a big part of your art or is that just one version and that you have expanded into different techniques it is only one aspect of my art but i've actually gone back to it but again i've recreated it slightly differently I paint what's called, well, I call them tree of emotions, where it's an old withered tree, gnarly tree, and instead of uh, blooming fruit or leaves, it blooms emotions. So that's how I've kind of put the two together. So it's evolved from just a painting with dots on it into a tree, and these blooms are blooms of emotions. The man on the bench, the widower, what style would you describe that as? Very, very simple. It's just a, it's black and white. It's a black and white painting of a 
silhouette of an old man sitting on a bench and he's holding three flowers and the flowers have three tiny dots of yellow and that's the only colour in the painting. The man's looking down, he's looking a bit, well, I presume sad. The background's very misty and black and swirly and it's just a very, very simple bench I drew and it's just the feeling is just great, you know, people love it. And then with the title, The Widower, that adds something to it as well. You've mentioned that it's been three years of fairly constant painting, drawing, creating art. Do you feel more and more confident in your physical ability to draw and paint and uh, create something special? But do you also feel that you can now clearly put more and more emotion into each image? I can put more. I'm getting better I work every day I still have imposter syndrome I don't like to call myself an artist because I've not been to art school however would you say to Mick Jagger he's not a musician because he didn't go to musical school so for me it's I still feel a bit of imposter syndrome but I just love what I do and for me it's not the finished product that's important it's the journey from the idea to creating it on the canvas to tinkering with it to changing bits and then having the finished article. So for me, the finished product isn't the main thing. It's the journey to get to that point, which is important. And I like to have metaphors and stories in my work. You mentioned you do it on canvas. Is So it's oil painting? Um, I, I use acrylic only because I don't like the smell of oil painting. Right. Because of the linseed oil, it's quite a smell, smelly medium. I like acrylic because it dries a lot quicker. Mark, what do you do with your art? Is it just part of your own personal process of dealing with your mental challenges and, and this post-traumatic growth that you're on? Or do you use it to inspire others? That's a great question. Initially, it was just for me, and then people really enjoyed it. So I'd give it away for free to friends and family who really liked it. Yeah, that's a typical imposter, <laughs> not, not selling it. <laughs> well, that soon changed when, when my wife got involved. But no, so now I'm actually in a gallery. I'm also in an art studio. I enter various ex exhibitions, and so people get to see my work. I sell my work. I also sell a lot of prints of my work, limited edition prints. And I've also made cards of my work because my work's large, you know, I do maybe two metres by three metre work. So obviously not everybody can have that on their wall, but I make smaller prints, maybe A2, A1 prints of my work and sign it. So yes, yeah, so I'm quite lucky that way. So I'm, And I've also got two collectors of my work as well who are very keen to see what I'm producing and things like that, so yeah. Well, there's um, a little bit of pressure then. I guess your creation is coming from your emotions. So is there any expectation delivering for these two collectors or is it just a relationship that you have with them and and you know what will what you create will be what it is and whether they like it or not correct i paint for me first and foremost i i've been asked to do a commission and the lady wanted the colors to match the cushions on our couch so i very politely said no that's not for me again i paint for me there's a reason one color goes next to another color there's a reason there's that much color, color in that area of the painting and not so much in another area. There's always reasons behind what I paint. And I paint for me and my emotions. So if you like it, that's fantastic. But if it's not for you, well, there's, you know, there's lots of other artists you can look at. But thank you for taking the time to look at mine. Your journey since your accident has only been a relatively short period of time, three years or so. 
Do you think about the long-term future or are you, do you just simply take one day at a time and happy that you're content in your own mental health as being the primary driver of what you're doing? Up until the last six months, I would say, yes, I was happy to take each day at a time. But now I'm at a stage where I've, I know my limitations. I've got strategies in place which help me live day-to-day life. So I've got these strategies in place now, and I know what works for me and what doesn't work for me. So in the last six months, I've really tried to look at my art as a bit more of a business. So that's why I'm now in an artist studio rather than working from home. And I just think it's important just again to paint for me just going back to a previous question around the inspiration of others have you had others with mental health challenges perhaps somebody else with an ABI connect with you through your art and has that inspired them to seek help seek a vision in their own and a passion in their own life I have actually I actually volunteer every Wednesday at Fiona Stanley in the head injury unit where we do art in the courtyard every Wednesday. And I teach people a simple technique called neurographic art, which just helps you get past a blocker in your life. It's a very simple technique. And when you're doing this simple technique, your brain in the background is working out the answer for your blocker. And I had one lad, a young indigenous lad, who was very angry and he couldn't express himself. He had his brain injury. He was in hospital. He was very angry. And I just sat with him. The two of us just did this simple technique and through doing some simple technique, you calm down and we just started chatting and talking and now he keeps in touch with me. He's from Geraldton and he does this technique maybe three, four times a week when he feels things are getting too much for him. He sits quietly and he does this technique and it just calms him down, which I just think is wonderful. There is nothing better than influencing others, positively changing people's lives. Congratulations on being able to connect with others and passing on your experiences and lived experience of your journey and helping others. Mark, as we finish up your time on Max's Island, perhaps you could share with the listeners how physically you are at the moment and do you think your positive outlook on life is something that's going to be easy to maintain or will you still need to work at it? I think I still need to work at it. However, I'm in a really good place in my life. I'm very lucky. I've got a fantastically supportive wife and family and close friends. Yes, the accident took a lot away from me cognitively, almost took my person, who I was as a person away. But through art, I've got my identity back and I enjoy giving back. So that's given me my purpose and identity. I feel lucky. And yes, you know, I'm quite a cheerful person. You know, for me, the, the glass is always half full. I love the mornings, best part of the day, because the day is still full of promise. So I, I always enjoy mornings because the day is just, it's just starting. You know, what's the day going to bring? I always try and say yes to everything rather than I'll know or I'll see. I always try and say yes. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll try that. But I've learned my techniques. I don't do well in noisy, busy environments. Well, what I've done now, I've got noise-cancelling headphones. So when I go onto the train or into the CBD, I have my noise-cancelling headphones so I don't get overwhelmed. I get very fatigued very quickly. So what I try and do is take a 10-minute break every hour so I don't drain my battery or my energy. When I wake up in the morning, I have my breakfast and I plan my day out. What do I need to do do today? What don't I need to do do today? 
and then I just plan it. I don't do everything first thing in the morning when I've got all my energy because I know after lunchtime I'll be asleep because I've used up all my energy. So I have big breaks in between. You don't need to vacuum the whole house. Why don't you just vacuum two rooms and then do the other three or four tomorrow? So I don't do everything at once. So yeah, the, my physically, I'm okay physically and mentally I'm in a much, much better place and I'm happy to share my experiences with others. Mark, thank you so much for visiting the island and sharing your experiences. All the connections to your art I'll put in the show notes and, and other social media that you're connected with so that others can be inspired by the work that you've created. Thanks very much for being on the island. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life Each day was a blur Oh work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished His mind was as clear as the sky Completely alone No emails or phone and nothing